Good afternoon. How are you going? We've gone from a beautiful rainy morning, and uh, the Lord knows we needed that rain, to a beautiful sunny afternoon. Almost seems like we're in Melbourne, uh, where we go from one extreme to the other, doesn't it? But I want to welcome you back this afternoon to this uh, Bible study, America in Bible Prophecy. And before I pray to start this program, I'd just like to say that God gives us these prophecies, some of them which are difficult to preach, to teach, and for the people that you're preaching and teaching to to accept, God gives them to us because God loves us. And this is one such prophecy. I wouldn't say this is the easiest prophecy, the easiest subject in all the Bible to preach and teach. But it is a thrilling one and as you hear it and as you listen to it, I'd like to invite you to ask the Lord to touch your heart, to really challenge you and to see if what the Bible says on this is not the truth. You have the handouts, I I expect and pray and hope that everybody got the handout as they came in. If you follow along with them, And then you go home and you're not sure, the beauty of them is that you can go home and check what the preacher, what the teacher has had to say. And do that because in the end I feel as a preacher that I'm up here labouring for your eternal life. I don't mind saying that. But in a sense you know the Bible says every man, every woman works out his own salvation with fear and trembling. And that means you have a responsibility, you do. I have a responsibility as a preacher to preach and to teach but you have a responsibility and it's a God-given responsibility to go home and to check what I have taught you against the word to see whether it is the truth and I want to challenge you to that. So if you find this this message this afternoon difficult, I, I don't apologise for that. In fact, quite the opposite, I encourage you to go home, humbly open your Bible and test it and see where the Lord might not lead you on it. Well, before we begin the Bible study, I want to just ask you to bow your heads in prayer as we ask the Lord to be with us for the next few minutes this afternoon. Lord Jesus, it's a thrill for us to be able to open the Bible and to see how the Bible speaks about the end times that we find ourselves now living in. As I present this subject, Lord, I would pray that you will give me clarity of thought and I would pray Lord that you will take the message to the people who have chosen to come, make it clear, compelling and if it's a truth Lord convicting. That is my prayer this afternoon as we begin this meeting in Jesus name. Amen. This this afternoon's Bible study is entitled America in Prophecy. Right at the beginning I want to tell you that I am a great supporter of the United States of America. Now I know out there, perhaps in this church and on television, that some of you may not be supporters of the United States of America. It doesn't mean that I go along with all their foreign policy. It doesn't mean that I agree with everything that President Bush does. But I've had the joy and the honour to live and to study in America, in the United States of America. Some of my best friends to this day are American. My brother and his wife live in America. And so 
I have a, a, an affinity, it's, an, it's a natural affinity with the United States of America. I love the country, I think it's big, it's bold, it's brash and it's beautiful. Again, it doesn't mean I go along with everything they do in their foreign policy. But I do love the United States of America. And I say that at the beginning of this Bible study because what the Bible has to say about this great country, the last of the world's superpowers, I believe is very, very sobering indeed. America in prophecy. If you've been here for the last few weeks for this small series, this Prophecy Code 2, you'll know that we began by studying what Daniel had to write about the little horn in Daniel chapter 7. Wonderful prophecy. And in that prophecy we found that, that Daniel and God identified the little horn as being the church of Rome. We then moved on to Revelation 13. 600 years down the track, different author, same God, Different prophecy, same message. John the Revelator on Patmos has a dream, has a vision. And in this dream, in this vision, in Revelation 13, and it's an exciting, it's, it's a big vision. John sees a beast coming up out of the sea. And last week, if you were here, you'll know that we identified this beast in Revelation 13 as the church of Rome. And so we concluded last week that in these two great biblical, prophetic, dare I say, apocalyptic chapters of the Bible, Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 13, the Bible is talking about a power and that power is none other than the church of Rome. A power that is alive and very much increasing in authority in the world today. Well, today, oh dear. Today we're going to speak about another power and I'm sorry about this but I don't know what happened then. We're going to speak about another power that comes on the scene of earth's history. It is a, a, an exciting study because it's talking about a power that we all know and of course you don't have to read too far into this study to see that the power we're looking at is indeed the United States of America. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them to Revelation chapter 13 verse 11. Revelation 13 verse 1 to 10 last week was identifying the church of Rome. But in this Bible study, in this exciting chapter in the Bible, we now have another power coming on the scene. In fact, as the Church of Rome, you'll remember last week, received a deadly wound. When was that? Does anybody remember? 17? Very good. 1798, when Berthier, the French general, Napoleon's general, marched into Rome and took the Pope prisoner, took him back to France where he died in Valence that French Alpine city, that the papacy received a fatal wound and as she received this fatal wound, Revelation chapter 13 tells us that another beast, another power comes onto the scene. Now it's this beast, it's this power that we're going to look at now. Revelation chapter 13 verse 11, John says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. 
Now I want to be up front right at the beginning of this program and I believe I can show you from the scripture the conclusions that I'm about to make are true. But this second beast in your Bible in Revelation chapter 13 is none other than the United States of America. Why do I say that? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about this beast. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. We need some keys here. Some keys to help us unlock this Bible study. Well, we know what a beast is. What is a beast? It's a nation or it's a power. So John's saying, I see another nation or another power coming up out of the earth. Now, you might remember that Revelation 17:15 tells us that whenever you come across in prophecy the term waters, it means what? People, nations, tongues. Now, you will remember that the church of Rome came up from out of the land or the water? Water. The church of Rome came up out of the water, meaning that the church of Rome developed where there were many millions of people. But this second beast in Revelation 13, the Bible says, comes up, rises up as the first beast receives its fatal wound, 1798. This second beast rises up out of a place where there is, it's the opposite, land is the opposite to water. Earth is the opposite to sea. The second beast comes from the earth. The first beast, the church of Rome, comes from the sea. If the sea means lots and lots of people, then the earth must mean a place where there is no people. Now the first beast, the church of Rome, received the fatal wound in 1798. Somewhere around that time, because as the first beast goes down, the second beast comes up. Somewhere around that time, you've got a nation, a great nation, a great power arising from a place where there is no people. Now go to the library. Go wherever you want. Study whatever you want. There is only one great nation. There is only one great power around 1798, that is arising on the earth. And that is who? The United States of America. Tell me one other power. Tell me one other great nation if there is one, because I've never been able to find one. When the Pilgrim Fathers landed in the United States of America, and by the way, the Americans have just had Thanksgiving, and what a beautiful, beautiful ceremony beautiful holiday Thanksgiving is when, when they, they recount how the Pilgrim Fathers were blessed by God in that first year of their landing and uh, um, uh, they, they re- recount the, the goodness that God's given to them. That's what the Thanksgiving American holiday is. But when the Pilgrim Fathers first landed in America, do you know how many American Red Indians there were on the continent? About 300,000. Now, it sounds like a lot, but if you've ever been to the United States like I have, 300,000 in that great land means the land was virtually empty. The United States did, in fact, grow up from out of the earth, not out of the sea. What else does the Bible have to say about this nation? It says it it, it had lamb-like qualities. And if you go to the Bible, you'll find that the lamb always represents who? 
The United States of America started off as a, a, a Jesus-loving country. These people who settled this great nation were people who were escaping persecution from the Church of Rome. That's why the Bible says that it has lamb-like, Jesus-like qualities. Let me tell you something. The reason I believe that even today the United States of America is the greatest nation the world has ever seen, bar none. I believe there is no other reason except for the blessings of God because of the foundations, the pilgrim fathers, those Christian men and women gave that country. That's what has made America such a great nation. She had, and still does to an extent, lamb-like qualities, qualities such as Jesus has. Because these were people who followed Jesus, escaping great persecution. The Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 11, she also had how many horns? Two horns. Oh, I wish I could stand here with authority like I've seen some evangelists do and say, this means this and this means that. <clears throat> Dare I say, I'm not too sure on this one. And I've heard all the different ideas and conclusions on what these two horns are. Perhaps it's freedom of politics and religion. Thank you, Lord. Perhaps it's freedom. Let us go back there. Perhaps it's freedom of politics and religion. Perhaps it's the North and the South who fought a bitter civil war. I'm not sure. Except to say that the Bible said she did have two horns. There are two powers. I think it's probably... The, the top one, freedom of politics and religion. But the Bible says eventually she will speak like a what? And the Bible tells us in Revelation 12 verse 9 that that dragon represents Satan. So that will give you an idea of what the Bible's saying. So let's go to verse 12. He, the United States of America, look at this. This is, I, I just think this is stunning. He, this is what the Bible says on this subject. He, the United States of America, look at it. This is future now, brothers and sisters. Perhaps it's part present, but it's future. He, the United States of America, exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf. The Church of Rome ruled supreme throughout the world in the Middle Ages. And the Bible says that the United States will exercise all the authority that the Church of Rome once exercised. I used to wonder what will happen to the Soviet Union. She collapsed today, the United States, today, 2005, 2006, the United States of America is the only superpower left in the world. The Bible says she will exercise all the authority. We're not there yet, but she's headed there. All the authority of the first beast on his behalf. This is future. The United States of America presently is not, is not exercising authority on behalf of the Church of Rome. But the Bible says it will happen. And look what the Bible says now. And she will make the earth and its inhabitants unbelievable. Worship the first beast. And just in case you mistake who that first beast is, God says, whose fatal wound has been healed, Revelation 13, 13. And he performed great and miraculous signs. This is the United States, performed great and miraculous signs. Look at this. Even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of man. 
Because of the signs he, the United States, was given, excuse me, because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he, the United States, deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And as I go back to that text, because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. What is that sign? Look at the text. It is fire from heaven. I ask myself, what is this fire? This is so important. What is this fire? It has its origins in the United States of America. It comes down from heaven. It's a spiritual thing. It's coming from heaven. And the fire deceives how much of the earth? How much? The whole earth. You're talking, oh, I'll tell you this afternoon, you're talking about a worldwide deception that has its roots, its foundations in the United States of America. And it is a worldwide deception and so strong and evil is this deception that the Bible says it will deceive the Western world. Is that what it says? It says it will deceive the whole world. Now, I believe when we're looking at studies like this, we need to be consistent with what the Bible has to say on such things. And so when I was wondering to myself, what is this fire, I began to think. You're going to bear with me this afternoon? The United States of America is the strongest nation on earth. It uh, has a great air force. I used to wonder, is this fire that the Americans bring down on the whole world and and it deceives the world and it causes the whole world to worship the Church of Rome, is it their air force shooting exocet missiles or sidewinders or and you know that didn't make sense and sometimes when you're reading the bible you're going to come across things as we did just a little earlier with those two horns that doesn't make absolute sense don't 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 throw your bible away just pack that truth in a corner ready to be unpacked ready to be unpacked when god chooses to unpack it for you But I started to wonder to myself, what is this fire? And so I went to the Bible and I I decided I would find out what the Bible had to say about fire. Now look at this. I think this is an interesting journey. Moses, this is the first first, uh, study I came across on fire. Moses called by God to free Israel who were in captivity in Egypt. This is thousands of years ago. This story is in Exodus, the second book in the Bible. Moses was a prince in Egypt, a long story. He killed a man and had to escape. In fact, Pharaoh was after him and uh, his own life was under threat and he took off into the desert and there he became a sheep herder. Do you remember how long he herded sheep for? 40 years. That's literally as old as I am. For 40 years he herded sheep. He's out with his sheep one day and this is what he saw. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priests of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was not on fire, it did not burn up. Moses sees a bush, it's on fire. The Bible says it was the angel of the 
I want to tell you that fire was symbolic of the presence. The angel of the Lord going to study in the Word. We haven't got time this afternoon. The angel of the Lord is always none other than Jesus Christ, the high God of heaven himself. And there he is in the fire, in the bush. That was the first little story I looked at. God is fire. Then I came to another one, same book. God is leading Israel through the desert. Three million plus. And at night he would put a pillar, well at day he would put a pillar of cloud across the sun to keep the people cool. Moses is leading them out of captivity. Great story, go and read it if you don't know it. But look what happened at night. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, what marvellous times this must have been to live. But by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Look what the first line says. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of what? Fire by night. Here is God again symbolising himself in the Bible, stay with me, as fire. This is really important. Let's go on. Next story. thousand years or more down the track. Elijah, great prophet of God. Israel, short story, had, had gone into pagan, heathen worship, bowing down to idols, sacrificing their children. Elijah was a fearless prophet. And he calls wicked King Ahab. 400 prophets of Baal up onto Mount Carmel and there is a, oh you ought to read it, First Kings 18, one of my favourite stories in the Bible, showdown between good and evil. And on one side you've got Elijah, a man of God, and on the other side you've got 400, perhaps 800 prophets of Baal and Elijah sets up a test, he says there's two altars, we'll sacrifice two bullocks, you ask your God, to show that he lives and that he is present with you by bringing fire down on your altar and I'll do the same for mine. Elijah says, you heathen pagan prophets, you go first. So they put the, you know the story most of you, they put the sacrifice on the altar and they dance around that altar and they cut themselves. Elijah, oh I love the story, he had some fire in him, let me tell you. He says, I think your God's on holidays. Well perhaps your God's sleeping because there was no fire. And then Elijah says, my turn. He pours water all over the altar then he gets on his knees. He says, great God of heaven, let these people know that you are the one true God and that you live. And do you know that fire came down from heaven? It consumed that altar. It consumed the stones. It consumed the water. It consumed the very dirt that the altar was built on and the people fell on their knees because the presence of God was there and they cried out, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Israel came back to God. But God again symbolised His presence by what? Fire. You see a theme running through the Bible here? God symbolises His presence by fire. Look at this. Acts chapter 2, early Christian church, Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, Jesus has gone back to heaven. The early Christian church, they're in a room, they're wondering what to do. When the day of Pentecost came, Acts chapter 2 says, they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I want to tell you that God was in the house. God had come to visit his people. I pray for the day. 
unashamedly I pray for the day when in this house God comes into the house as he did in the day of Pentecost. Because when God comes to the church that I serve, this church here, as he did to Pentecost, we will see a revival like this hundred year old church has never seen. And verse 3 says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of what? Fire. That separated and came to rest on each of them, symbolising the fact that not only was God in the house, God was in the hearts of the people in the house. Wonderful story. Pray for it to happen. You want to know something? Warunga SDA church members, those of you here this afternoon, not only do I pray for it to happen, I believe it will happen. And maybe sooner than some of you think. Look at this, Deuteronomy 4.24. Two texts. We've looked at some stories. For the Lord your God is a consuming, a jealous God. Wow. What about this one? For our God, Hebrews 12.29, New Testament, is a consuming fire. Look, it's all the way through the Bible, this imagery, this symbolism. God comes to mankind as a fire when I found Jesus Christ. Oh, I praise the Lord for that day. He came into my heart. I want to tell you it was like a bushfire was alight inside of me. I couldn't stand still. I couldn't be quiet. I couldn't shut up. And guess what? I still can't. Because I've got a fire inside of me. It's the same fire that was seen in the stories in the Old and the New Testament and it's the same fire, it's the presence of God that he offers to you. Now I want you to pack that away in your mind for a moment. The fire in all these examples is God or if you like God's presence on earth and we know by studying the Bible that God's presence on earth is the Holy Spirit who is God. Now I want you to pack that truth in your mind for a moment and hold on to it because we're going to go back to where we started and I'm going to show you what this false fire is that comes out of the United States and deceives the whole world. But before I do, I just want to show you something very quickly about the Holy Spirit, about God, about this fire that's on earth, about this fire that's in this church right now that's helping me speak, that's getting me through with this computer that's playing up. Things you need to know about the Holy Spirit just quickly. John 14, 16. Jesus said, he's talking to you, he's talking to me, this is for us. He says, and I will ask the Father, talking to his disciples, he's talking to you. And he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit, or God on earth, or this fire that we see all the way through the Bible, is in fact called the Spirit of what? Truth. Good, I'm glad you understand that. Look at this text. But the Counselor, this is Jesus speaking again, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit teaches us the what? There's the Holy Spirit. Those of you who don't know God yet or are in the process of knowing God, praise the Lord you're here. It's the Holy Spirit that brought you here. And if you can make sense of some of the garble that comes out from up here. Let me tell you, there's a translation process going on between my mouth and what you hear and we ought to praise God for that because he's in the church and he's teaching you the truth. God said that's what he did, would do. It's a promise and it's what he does. I've often said to Clifton, sometime I will stand at the door out there after I've preached a sermon. People will shake my hand and I'll say, well, I... 
I really appreciated today that you brought this, this and this out. And I used to say to them when they'd say that to me, I didn't bring this, this and this out. What are you talking about? But I've learnt that when I'm preaching, when Clifton's preaching, when the preacher is up the front preaching the truth from the Word, the Holy Spirit is there and he is teaching people the truth and he goes far beyond what I can say, what I can share with you. And if your heart is open this afternoon, you've got the Holy Spirit talking to you, he is teaching you and he is sharing things with you that I am not sharing with you from the front. It's called a... <coughs> It's called a supernatural, it's called the supernatural workings of the Holy Spirit on our hearts to save us. He teaches us the truth. It's a wonderful thing to be taught by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes painful. He calls us to do things that we may not want to do. To go places where we don't want to go. I never did want to come to Sydney as beautiful as this city is. But it is a wonderful thing to be taught by the Holy Spirit. Number three, when the counsellor comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. Listen, the Holy Spirit, God on earth, this fire that is raging through man's hearts on the earth today, He does nothing. He advances no one's cause except Jesus Christ. Important point. Number four. Unless I go away, Jesus says, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt. The Holy Spirit convicts hearts. Oh, well, I was walking away from Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came and called me in my guilt and in my shame and in the wickedness of my life. It was, oh, it was a beautiful, but it was a painful experience to come under conviction from the Holy Spirit. But that's what God is doing here on earth, convicting men, calling them to follow him, Jesus Christ. And lastly, John sixteen thirteen. but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all. The Holy Spirit guides us into the truth. You are not going, look, you be very careful of all these different religions, all these different denominations, all these different churches out there in the world today, including us. There are thousands, no, there are probably millions of them. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into the... And, if you've got, and what is the truth, by the way, ladies and gentlemen? It's the Word. It's the Bible. And that's why I'm telling you, go home, go home, look at what I'm saying. Test what I'm telling you by the, by the truth, by the word. Look at it, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth. Holy Spirit teaches the truth. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus who is the truth. The Holy Spirit convicts men's hearts of the truth and the Holy Spirit guides us into the truth. Now, pack that away for a minute. Remember that the Holy Spirit is often symbolised as fire in the Bible and then let's look at this. have to look at it carefully because I've put a lot on one page but I wanted to get this all on the one slide. Then I, says John, saw another beast, the United States of America, coming up out of the earth where there's no people. He, the United States of America, had two horns, two powers like a lamb, like Jesus. But he, the United States of America, spoke like a dragon, Satan. 
He, the United States of America, exercised all the authority of the first beast of Church of Rome on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast of Church of Rome whose fatal wound had been healed. And he, the United States of America, performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven. Spiritual. It's coming from heaven to the earth in full view of men. Because of the signs, the fire... He, the United States of America, was given power to do on behalf of the first beast of the Church of Rome. He deceives the inhabitants of the world. Oh, it opens up, doesn't it? So we've got to go back to the question. What is this fire? We know that the real fire is God that convicts men's heart. It's God's presence. But here you've got a false fire, a false God, a false spiritual movement that has its origins in the United States of America. It is, it is, it is spiritual because it comes down from heaven. And this false spiritual movement, according to the Bible, deceives the whole earth. Now, before I get any further, go any further, and I'm watching my time, I want to say that what I'm sharing with you this afternoon, and it pains my heart to say this, impacts the church I belong to, Seventh-day Adventism. This false spiritual movement that's sweeping across the world is having a heavy and a deep impact on my church here in the West. I love my church. I believe it preaches the truth or I wouldn't be a part of it. But I don't stand up here this afternoon holier than thou and say that we ourselves, Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists, are not being impacted by this. But I want to put it to you, and I'll prove it in a moment, that the fire that comes down from heaven is a worldwide Pentecostal movement. Now you might say, just a minute, Lloyd, that, that just sounds a, a little bit way out. But I think you better stay with me for a moment here this afternoon. I want to remind you, I want you to look at the screen. Remember? Oh, I pray that you remember this. I pray to the Lord that this will come through to your hearts and your minds. Remember that we are talking about systems and powers that set themselves up against God, not individual Christians or people. I want to tell you right now that in the Church of Rome there are millions and millions and millions of people who love God, who love Jesus Christ and worship Him with the truth they have I want to tell you, in the Pentecostal system, there are millions and millions and millions of people who love God and worship Him just as sincerely and just as deeply as any Seventh-day Adventist with the truth they have. You understand me? I have worshipped in a Pentecostal church. Just recently I went to one, there are, there, and I went there for a reason, but, but there are many things I saw on that day that I wish were here in my church, Warunga Seventh-day Adventist Church. I wish, and I love the people of this church, but I wish the people I serve, I wish Lloyd Grolleman had the commitment of the Pentecostals at the church I went to. I drove into the car park. There were young people with smiles on their faces, the joy of Jesus shining forth from them, inviting me to take a car park, I took my car park, I walked into church five, ten minutes before it started. I tell you what, I got a seat right in the back of the church. I thought there'd be lots of seats, a place was packed full of people worshipping and praising God. I sat in the seat in that church. 
I had been in this church that 10, 15,000 people were worshipping in, no more than five minutes. A young man came up to me and he grabbed my hand and he said, Welcome to our church. I was amazed. How did he know I was a visitor? He said, Who are you? And I mumbled my name. Where are you from? I said, Calliable. What do you do? I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor from up the road. His face kind of took a, a little bit of a different expression there. But to his credit, he grabbed me in a hug and said, I'm glad you're here. Why don't you come and have a meal with us afterwards? I mean, these people were on fire. When the preacher was preaching, the, the deacons who were standing there to take up the offering had pocket Bibles and they pulled their pocket Bibles out to follow along. When he was preaching, the sound men up the back were not asleep. They were not playing solitaire. I think uh, Brendan just about fell over when I said that. There was a great clatter up there. So I don't know what was happening, brother, but I'm glad to wake you up. The sound guys were sitting there with their Bibles open and Brendan knows them telling the truth because Brendan was with me. There was a, a lot of wonderful things going on in that church and I want to tell you that when I walked into that church, straight into the door, I got blasted by a furnace heat of what? Fire. The church was red hot, burning with fire. Now just stay with me for a moment. I want to show you something. In fact, I want to make a statement. The fire in that church, and it's a strong statement, it's not a statement that I feel happy to make because of what I saw happening in that church that day. What I've seen in a number of these churches that I've been to. And by the way, it's not a denomination, the Pentecostal. It's a movement that goes through every church in Christendom. But the fire in that church is a false fire. But let me share something with you. Pentecostalism has its roots in the United States of America, the second beast, just like the Bible said it would be. The first wave, there are three waves. I just want to give you a very short, short history lesson. 1901 at Bethel Bible College, Agnes Oseman began speaking in tongues. It was the beginning of what was known as the holiness movement in the United States of America, in the Christian church. But the first wave, those who were speaking in tongues, those who experienced this, were thrown out of all the major Christian denominations in America and they started up their own denomination. This is where the AOG church comes from. In 1906, this is just over 100, well, 100 years ago, Tongues were spoken in the Azusa Street, Los Angeles, California for the first time and from these two events grew the mainstream Pentecostal church as we see today. I want to tell you that if you look back on the history of the Christian church, it is not until the beginning of the 1900s, the beginning of the 20th century that you start to see as a phenomena Pentecostalism having an impact on Christianity. It was non-existent before that time. That is a historical fact. Then we have the second wave, it's called Neo-Pentecostalism. 1960 in Van Nuys, California, there was an outburst of tongues speaking in an Episcopalian church. Episcopalian church, one of the biggest churches in the United States of America. It spread to the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and right across Christianity. 
Now, it was the same as the first movement. It was the same as the old movement. This is important, except that now it crossed denominational boundaries, even entering into countries and major universities. It was reformist rather than separatist in nature. In other words, those who are experiencing this phenomena in their lives, speaking in tongues, having these supernatural outpourings in their life, did not leave their churches. They stayed in their churches. This is important. And they tried to change their churches from within. And you'll see in a moment that they've been very successful. This second wave in 1967, this is, this is a historical fact. It entered the Catholic Church through 30 zealous students who received baptism of the Holy Spirit at Notre Dame. I used to watch Notre Dame play football when I was a student in the United States of America. I never realised it was a, a Roman Catholic university. Great football team. But in 1967, there were 30 of these students that received a slaying from the Spirit. They began to speak in tongues. You can see in the picture there a Catholic girl receiving the sacrament in a Pentecostal Catholic service. There are only 30 of them in 1967 on Notre Dame campus. By 1968, one year later, there was 150. Now, that's not bad church growth in anybody's book. By 1969, 450. 1970, 1300. 1973, 22,000. 1974, 30,000 Roman Catholics in the United States of America calling themselves Pentecostal. I'll tell you what, I know a lot of Adventist pastors... A lot of Adventist preachers, a lot of Adventist evangelists who pray for that sort of outpouring that sees that sort of growth. In 1975, 10,000 Catholic Pentecostals from all over the world heard Pope Paul VI express his warm appreciation of the movement in St. Peter's Square outside the Vatican Palace. So Pentecostalism today, neo-Pentecostalism, is in every, every single Christian denomination, including Seventh-day Adventism. That's fact. Then we have the third side, uh, the third wave, sorry. Signs and Wonders movement. John Wimbo, I think, is the father of this movement. He was a professor together with C. Peter Wagner at Fuller University. He's a specialist in church growth. He was brought into Fuller especially, which I believe is a Baptist university, to advance the, the cause of church growth amongst the students, the theological students, men and women studying to be pastors. He was brought in especially. He, he was a Pentecostal. Uh, but, but what, and signs of wonder can, can sometimes lead you a little astray here. What sets this movement apart from the other Pentecostal, uh, uh, the first and the second wave? Was there tongues in it? Yeah. But you didn't have to speak tongues in the third wave to be seen as a child of God. Was there, was, was there other manifestations, a slaying in the... Yes, there was, a slaying in the spirit. You've seen it on television where the pastor would go along and touch the head of the person, fall down on the ground. That was all there, all the Pentecostal supernatural, and they are supernatural manifestations were there. What made these guys different was they had in their midst prophecy, prophets. You ever heard of the Arkansas prophets? The Kansas prophets, sorry? Well, this man, Paul Cain. He is seen as, as Paul Cain as the head of this group and making some of the most amazing prophecies. And I would suggest, for those of you who are interested in going further, and we haven't got the time, that you type into your search engine at home, Paul Cain, and you'll get a, a myriad of information 
on this guy. Do I think he's a false prophet? You better believe it. In fact, I think that this man's got quite a sinister approach to, to many things. But prophecy was a very much, and still is, uh, a heavy influence on this third wave. And in fact, if you go to just about any Pentecostal church today, whether it be in Sydney, Australia, the United States, or anywhere in the Western world, even in the third world, you're going to find that this third wave has had a major impact on Pentecostalism because almost every church has one, two, three, a dozen of their own prophets prophesying, guiding, leading, giving direct revelations from God to the people of that church. It's very clear that the Pentecostal movement has its roots and foundations in the United States of America. No doubt about it. You can go nowhere else to find it. And I want to make this quick, I want to make this quick observation for our youth who are here. At the very forefront, at the sharp end of the spear of the Pentecostal movement is Christian rock music. And people are saying to me, because I've made a great stand against Christian rock music in my own denomination. It hasn't been easy. And if you have a look and, you ha- and, and if you open your eyes and you go and study the advance of Pentecostalism into the mainstream Protestant and Catholic denominations, how have they been able to roughshod to ride over all the doctrinal differences that all the different denominations have? They have done it through music. And the mode they have chosen to do it through is rock music and they have taken music from the world. This is fact. I would encourage our young people here to open their eyes and check this for themselves. They have taken rock music which is birthed in drugs, it is birthed in immorality and it's a fact and it's a truth and I've done as much study on this as any subject in my life. It is birthed in the occult worship of the devil. They have taken this music that finds its foundations, has its roots in the evil, pagan darkness of the world and they have baptised it and made it Christian. It, this music, and I've got to tell you, this is music that appeals to Lloyd Groleman. This is still one of the battles of my life. I am a child of rock and roll. I grew up in that generation. It still reaches a chord in my heart but I recognise it for what it is and it is darkness and the Pentecostal and now the Christian churches both Protestant and Catholic and yes some Seventh-day Adventists have taken this form of music, they have baptised it and they think they can use it in the church and all it's done is roughshod over the truths of the doctrine to bring unity to all these churches and prepare them for the final great battle of Armageddon. You better come back next week to find out about that. But it horrifies me. And I'm not a prude. I'm not a... I might look like it, I don't know. But I'm no square. I live in the world. I know what it's like to be Australian. But I praise God that he's opened my ears and he's opened my eyes and the scales have fallen off and at least... For all my weaknesses, I can see the danger of what this Christian rock music is doing to our young people and others in the church of God. And I want to encourage you that we have to resist this in the spirit and the love and the gentleness of Christ. 
but it is rock music that has been the sharp end of the spear that has seen the penetration of the Pentecostal doctrine and ways right across, right across the spectrum of Christianity. This fire, Pentecostalism, comes down from heaven. Pentecostalism is a large movement led by the, and I'm putting in, uh, our, uh, you know, uh, what, what they call them, um, thank you, led by the, the Holy Spirit, small h, small s. Thus it is from heaven. It is spiritual. You go to a Benny Hinn crusade, let me tell you, people, and by the way, Benny Hinn's a Pentecostal that doesn't use rock music. Benny Hinn's a Pentecostal pastor that's reaching to Christians of my mum and dad's era, using beautiful songs that they grew up with, still with the Pentecostal message. So I want to tell you, you don't need rock music to advance this message. But it does come from heaven. You go to a Benny Hinn Pentecostal crusade, I want to tell you that in the Benny Hinn crusade, people truly are being, they are being healed. Yes, they are. It's a spiritual fact. There is, they are being possessed by supernatural beings. Yes, they are, but there's a problem and I'll share it with you in a minute. But this Pentecostal fire, it is, it is, it is driven by speaking in tongues, uh, healings, prophecy. People are being slain in the spirit. This supernatural phenomenon, and I want to tell you, there's staggering growth and immeasurable wealth. Immeasurable wealth. This is a, a successful, a successful movement. But the Bible says it deceives the world, and this is a crucial point. And I want, to, want you to watch this closely. As we finish, how does it deceive the earth? Pentecostalism's influence on Christianity and the world is stunning in its pervasiveness. It means it's everywhere. Look at this. This is from the Hartford Institute of Religion Research. Christianity's next wave may, and I would put their will, come in Pentecostal form. These are stories I'll tell my grandchildren about. We'll get there. Christianity's next wave may come in Pentecostal form. With an estimated 500 million followers, Pentecostal... Did you hear that? Did you see that? With an estimated 500 million followers, Pentecostalism now comprises the second largest communion of Christians in the world, more than Protestants and Anglicans combined. With its continued growth and its unique understanding of Christian experience, Pentecostalism promises to reshape Christianity. The 21st century. The Pentecostal movement is not simply a new denomination, says Margaret M. Palmer of the Department of Sociology of the University of Auckland. Listen to what she said. The rise, listen to this, the rise of Pentecostalism is more to the rise of Protestantism in Christianity. Did you hear that? It is more like the rise of Protestantism in Christianity than the birth of a new denomination. It is an example of the restructuring of Christianity. Listen, the rise of the Pentecostal movement in Christianity is bigger. Are you hearing me? This is a historical fact. It is bigger. Its influence is greater than the influence of the Protestant Reformation upon the church. 
And that's recognised by sociologists, it's recognised by university professors, it's recognised by anybody who's anybody who's studying this phenomena that is sweeping across, this spiritual phenomena which is sweeping across the, 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 the denominations of Christianity. The Pentecostal movement leads Christianity, even here in Sydney, in worship. Everybody is following the Pentecostal model of worship. It leads the Christian world in theology. I am amazed as I see Protestant denominations, not unlike our the, the Adventist denomination, getting on their knees and accepting almost without argument the theology that's coming from the Pentecostals, their music, their conferences, their church growth. They're preaching, they're training, the money, everything is driven today in Protestant and Catholic Christianity by Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism is the glue that is binding all the churches together. So how does Pentecostalism deceive the whole earth and we're coming to the end? The problem is it does not lead people to the truth. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20, the Bible says, I didn't write this this comes from Isaiah, one of the great prophets of the Bible. To the law, that's the Ten Commandments. And to the testimony, that's the Bible. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Let that text sink into your mind this afternoon. Remember, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of what? Truth. The Holy Spirit teaches us the the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus who is the, the Holy Spirit convicts hearts of the, and the Holy Spirit guides us into the what? So if this movement is fired by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, if it is the fire of the Old and the New Testament that we've looked at today, then it must be leading people into the truth. Pentecostalism does not lead people to the truth. And you can go and check this for yourself. So it can't be driven by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God, we've looked at it very clearly, drives people to the what? The truth. Here's a few examples. The Pentecostal movement has, in most places, a total disregard and denial of the Sabbath. That is Ten Commandment what? Truth. The rejection of the literal second coming of Christ. That is biblical truth. The immortality of the soul resulting in death in either eternal life or eternal hell. And so they believe that when you die you go to heaven or you go to hell. But that is against biblical truth. Following the secret rapture, they say there will be a period of seven years called tribulation. After this period, Christ will return and personally establish his rule over the nations for a thousand years here on earth. That is contrary to biblical truth. There's four short examples. I can give you dozens of them where this movement rather driving people to the truth is driving people, and it's a sad thing, but it's driving people away from the truth. It feels good. It takes me onto a mountaintop. I'm on a spiritual high. It is almost impossible to resist this sort of attack from the spirit of darkness. I am close to God. I am weeping in joy that the Lord has come into my heart. Yet this movement is not driving me to the truth. 
as painful as that is, it is not driving me to the truth and if it's not driving me to the truth, then it can't be, it cannot be driven by the Holy Spirit. We'll bring this to a close. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed and he performed great and miraculous signs even causing fire to come down from heaven. The Bible says there's going to be a movement of the Holy Spirit but it says it's a false movement because what does it do? It, 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 if you have a look, causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of man because of the signs of fire he was given power to do on behalf of the church of Rome. He deceived the whole earth. How that deception happens is next week's topic. I'm going to use a different computer next week. And I'm going to pray that the Lord will give us one program in this series without technical difficulties. But I'll close by saying this. This is half time in this presentation. We haven't got half to where we're going yet and I want to invite you back next week because it comes to a thrilling conclusion. But Jesus exposes these powers, these end time powers on the earth, not because he wants to hurt or to discourage or to turn people away, but because it's important to Jesus that you who he is calling knows the truth. The Bible says the truth will set you free. And when you are free in Christ, you are free indeed. God calls for us to worship him in spirit and in Truth in spirit, yes, the Holy Spirit must be there. There must be a fire raging through the church. But that fire must drive you to the church. It must drive you to your knees. And acceptance of God's law, including the seventh day Sabbath, as painful as that is for some. True worship will drive you to your knees and it will drive you into the Bible to find out what God is telling you for yourself. And as you go into the Bible, you'll be convicted, convicted to follow the truth as he presents it. That's why in Revelation he says, and it's a great call, come out of her, talking about all these false systems that Satan has brought into the world. Are there people of God in these systems? You better believe it. Millions of them. And that's why God says in Revelation, in Revelation, I want to close with this, chapter 18, verse 4, Come out of her. My people, he says, my people are in this, these systems. My people are caught in these deceptions. And he holds his arms out and he says, look, he doesn't want me to stand up the front and hammer these systems, these people into the ground. He wants me to do the opposite. He wants me to say, if you're caught in one of these systems, he wants me to say to you, hey, God loves you. He calls you out because he loves you and he wants you to have an experience with him in spirit. Yes, a fire will be there. And in truth, how I wish the fire was more evident in my own denomination, but it is coming. There is a revival coming to Australia. There is a revival coming to the church I belong to that will not be stopped until Jesus comes. It will keep going. But God's calling you and God's calling me to the truth. And he asks you to worship in spirit and truth and you can only worship in spirit and truth if you bring the spirit with you to your worship. And that's what he challenges to. I want to invite you back next week. We're going to look at the mark of the beast.
that brings to a conclusion what we're talking about today, only halfway. But if you have questions on this, grab me and I'll talk to you further. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we had troubles today with the, the technology. That's okay. The main thing, Lord, is that your Holy Spirit was here. The fire was burning and I pray, Lord, that you touch people's hearts. This, I know, could be a hard message for some, difficult. The pain of what they've heard, Lord, it may be, may be getting in the way of the truth of the message getting through. I don't know, but I just want to pray, God, that you'll come down into this church now, that you'll touch the hearts of the listeners here. You convict them as the truth, Lord, not as I'm teaching or preaching it, as you proclaim it. Lord, put in the hearts of these people to go home and check from the Word, from the Bible, the things that have been spoken about and bring them back next week, I pray, God, for the climactic conclusion of this wonderful Bible study. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us in your name. Amen.